Good morning. Yes, my name's Christo. This is LBC 97.3. I'm here with you until seven o'clock in the morning. I'm in for Steve Allen. It's early breakfast here on London's Biggest Conversation. Dear God, I don't know where my body clock is the last few weeks. (laughs) I've been Anthony. I've been Steve. Who haven't I been? I've not been Christo, really. Um... 08456060973. 08456060973. If you'd like to give me a call this morning, we uh, have the phone lines up and running and they're open. I know that Steve doesn't always uh, take many calls, but I'm more than happy to. I'd love to talk to you. 08456060973. Now, a few things on the menu this morning. We're going to be going through the newspapers shortly, doing some stories from there, but... I'd love to hear from you on 08456060973 about a couple of things uh, this morning. Firstly, as you've been hearing in our bulletin, um, the story regarding the two planes, one flying from New York to Moscow, which has made an emergency landing at John F. Kennedy Airport after an engine problem, and in a separate incident, it's been reported another Delta jet, this time bound for Los Angeles, has been forced to land in Atlanta after engine trouble. Now this, in the few weeks since we've had the Airbus and the engine trouble with that and Qantas announcing that it's going to replace all of the engines on its particular jets. We also had the Qantas incident with the other 747 forced to make an emergency landing. Now thankfully, no one's been hurt in these incidences, though I'm quite sure that if you were on one of those planes you wouldn't be thrilled about the whole situation, but I want to know how it's affecting you, because there do seem to be quite a few stories around lately about uh, emergency landings and planes having to turn back, engines that seem to to have some sort of problem. So is it making you more scared to fly? Are you having a fear of flying? Perhaps you had a fear of flying to start with, and hearing these stories is just perpetuating it for you. Why is it that we're so interested in these stories? as well it, it it's it's is it because of our heightened terror situation is it because we're just interested in aviation is it because it's uh, still seen as quite a glamorous thing that, that that might be going wrong i really want to get to the crux of why why we're so interested in these incidences and whether it affects you whether it affects your decision to get on a plane on 0845 6060973 you can text me on 84850 and you can email me christo at lbc.co.uk. I'm hugely interested in aviation stories. I love the excitement and the drama and the adrenaline when you hear a story like this. I mean, obviously, when I know everyone's safe and thankfully in these incidences, they are. But I love flying and I, I, I quite like it. I'm not fond of takeoff, but I enjoy flying. So I imagine... But I imagine if I had a huge fear of flying, these these stories would destroy me. They would absolutely send me over the edge. If I knew I was getting on a plane in the next few weeks and all I was hearing about were, were engine problems, it would drive me mad. And I want to know whether you feel the same way. 0845 6060973. You can text me on 84850. Email me christo at uk, And you can also tweet me at lbc. Nine seven three, and you can use any of those more forms of um, 
contact as well uh, to discuss any of the stories I'm going to be doing from the newspapers as well, which I'll be doing uh, quite shortly. Another thing I'd like to talk to you about this hour as well. Um, Lego is the heritage toy most likely to be passed on to future generations according to a poll. Children can also expect to be given their parents' teddy bears, their Rubik's Cube, their doll's house, and uh, other favourites including Barbie and Ken dolls, matchbox cars, scale electric, train sets, rag dolls and marbles. This is a survey to mark the DVD release of Toy Story 3. Two-thirds of you said that you wanted to pass on your childhood toys to your own offspring. And 42% said that their children owned at least one toy that was originally theirs. Now, when I was growing up, I used to have a battered old bear that used to belong to my mum, and it was one of my favourite toys, even though it was falling apart. I also had lots and lots of Lego. I had Scalextric. I had all those toys. And now, I'm not a dad myself, but I'm certainly an uncle, godfather. And I like buying toys for the kids I buy for, that I'm familiar with and that I used to play with when I was little. Like, for instance, I bought uh, my goddaughter the entire Mr. Uh, Men set, like set of books. So she has a different one every night before she goes to bed because I just wanted to give her Mr. Men because I was familiar with Mr. Men and I had Mr. Men stuff when I was growing up. So I'd like to know what toys uh, you had when you were growing up that you would pass on to your kids if you could. What's the toy you still wish you had today, the one you remember most fondly? And our kids' toys, the same as they used to be. Oh eight four five six oh six oh nine seven three. I mean, would you give a child a Rubik's Cube nowadays? A Rubik's Cube, really? You know, I just... I, that used to frustrate the hell out of me. Do you know what I did with my Rubik's Cube? In the end, I just took off all the pieces of, 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 of uh, sticky colour and I just... I put them all back on to make it look like I'd done it because I couldn't actually do the thing. I wasn't clever enough. Um, okay, let's get to some texts. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot of you texting still about my poor neighbour. I mentioned, um, could you well be the next Anthony Head? Why don't you pop downstairs to your neighbour after work with a jar of gold blend coffee? It could be the new beginning of a new relationship from Sammy. Sammy, are you talking to the old, about the old man next door? I was doing a... When I was covering for Anthony, I was doing a phone-in about, uh having a conversation with you about neighbours and I was saying about my neighbour the old man who's about 85 and he's lived in the flat next door to me since 1946 so I keep calling around there he's actually an upstairs neighbour but he's he's in the he's in the house next door but he's a neighbour if that makes sense and I call around to see him and say hello all the time and to the point where he's now said look I'm really sorry but will you just like leave me alone <laughs> You know, because you're supposed to look after your elderly neighbours. And so often, he's told me now. I remember hanging around. I, I I asked to come in and I said, oh, you know, why don't I have a cup of tea? And he was like, oh, OK. And then I was hanging around and I was thinking, you, uh, you know, you poor thing, you're on your own. Your kids aren't around visiting you. And so I thought I'll sit down, have a chat with him, maybe talk to him about the war. To the point where he was like, look, I don't mean to be funny, but I've got loads of stuff to get on with. Would you mind just going? <laughs> And then every time I've called round there, since when it snowed, I called round and I was like, oh, do you need me to get you any shopping? He's like, no, <laughs> you can't please some people. You can't. He came down three flights of stairs. In fairness, he is 85. By the time he got down to the bottom, he was like, what, what, what can I do for you? I was like, oh, hi. I just thought I'd call around to see if he needed any shopping. And he's like, um, no, <laughs> no. 
And I'm actually a bit busy. He must be like, who is this sad, annoying idiot that lives next door to me who's quite a lot younger but quite clearly has no life? It's me. So, uh, yeah, thanks for those texts. And thanks for reminding me of that. Mike, I haven't flown for about 18 years when I went to Ireland. But I don't believe... But don't believe we'll be too scared. Um... Are you going to talk about reality shows? That's just, that's from Mike. I might mention the X Factor, actually. When I have children, I will give them my picture books. It made me clever. I hope it will do the same to them. That's someone on 84850. If you'd like to send me a text, 84850 is the way to do it. Christo at lbc.co.uk is the email. You can tweet at lbc973. And the phone line's up and running, 0845 Tell me if you have a fear of flying or whether you're developing one as a result of the stories of engine trouble, which seem to be now a daily occurrence. Today, two on the same airline in the same country. The Qantas one, same airline again. It's not filling me with a huge amount of confidence. I mean, thankfully, no one's been hurt. They made landings as they should have done. But perhaps it's affecting your decision to want to fly. Maybe you've had a fear of flying in the past, and now... It's just water of a duck's back to you. Maybe you've been involved in an incident on an aeroplane that you'd like to share uh, with the rest of London. Have you ever been involved in any kind of emergency situation? How did you deal with that? What was that like? Did it give you more confidence about flying in the future? Because maybe it did. Maybe it was handled so professionally that uh, you now are quite confident when it comes to a cabin crew and a captain, etc., 0845 You can drop me a text on 84850 and you can email me christo at lbc.co.uk. Perhaps Adele in Bracknell is summing this up very sensibly, I have to say. Um, the powers of the media. Planes are mechanical. They have and always have had their mechanical issues. It's the nature of the beast. You only need to be concerned if airlines... Don't act on problems, says Adele in Bracknell. See, Adele, my problem is that I have a minor obsession with the National Geographic show Air Crash Investigation, which I'm banned from watching for uh, about a month before I go on holiday. I'm not allowed to watch it. I find it fascinating that these huge, absolutely ginormous lumps of metal career down a runway and get into the air. I find that unbelievably fascinating actually um i love getting on a plane but unfortunately i feel like i know too much now because i've watched too many of those shows but i am fascinated by it um do i have a fear of flying no i've got a bit of a fear of taking off but that's about it but you're right adele you only need to be concerned if airlines don't act on the problems thankfully they are but call and tell me 08456060973. We'll do the uh, papers in a moment, some of the front pages, uh, and lots more to come with me, Christo, here on LBC 97.3. The time now, though, 5.15. And London's headlines, rescue teams in New Zealand say they're still optimistic as they get special robots ready to explore a coal mine where 29 men are missing. Two of the men caught up in the explosion around 200 metres underground are from Scotland. 
More details were revealed later of a multi-billion pound credit crunch bailout that's been handed to Ireland, including cash from Britain. It could take several weeks to work it out fully, but it's likely to see the Irish end up paying more in tax. And forecasters say parts of Britain can expect up to six inches of snow this week, but London should escape the worst. The northeast of Scotland could face heavy snow, whilst eastern England faces snow and sleet by the middle of the week. Now London's travel, here's Rachel Hardiman. This morning from 10, LBC 97.3. 16 minutes past five, my name's Christo, this is LBC 97.3. I'm in for Steve Allen. We're talking about whether you have a fear of flying, or whether you're developing one, as a result of these stories of planes that seem to have engine trouble constantly at the moment. Thankfully, no one hurt in these latest incidences in America. But I want to know why we seem obsessed with these stories, whether they've given you a fear of flying, whether perhaps you've ever been involved in an incident on a plane that has either made you more scared or given you more confidence as a result of the way it was handled. 0845 6060973. You can text me on 84850 and email me christo at lbc.co.uk. Um, we're also talking about what toys that you had as a child you would happily pass on to your kids. What were the best toys you had when you were younger? Because a new survey says that Lego is the heritage toy most likely to be passed on to future generations. It seems so strange, doesn't it? You can imagine, like, a family saying, right, I've got this priceless collection of dolls I'd like to pass on to my child. Here you are, darling. These are for you. Whereas a manky old box of Lego doesn't really have quite the same... Just the, 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 I don't know, it doesn't really have the same gravitas, the same special feeling. It is a manky old plastic chewed up box of Lego for you, darling. There you go. Build away. Uh, 84850, Christo at lbc.co.uk. You know the ways to get in touch now. We'll do the papers in a moment, but let's talk to Robin in Heathrow. Morning, Robin. Good morning, Christo. Um, well, funnily enough, I'm sitting outside uh, Terminal 5 at Heathrow Airport. I'm going to be uh, jumping on a plane in a couple of hours to Dusseldorf. Uh, the point that I'd like to make is that I used to be terrified of flying, absolutely terrified. I had a job um, where I was traveling to business meetings. I used to have to get on a plane at 7 o'clock in the morning for a meeting in Glasgow um, at 9. Couldn't get on the plane without um, a couple of stiff drinks. And decided, at 7 in the morning? Uh, you know, at 7 in the morning. Oh, Robin, you're a man after my own heart. I love it. <laughs> but listen, this is what I did. Yeah. Um, I taught myself to fly. I took got myself into debt, did a private pilot's license because I needed to confront this fear. I needed to understand all about it because you sit in these big metal tubes with wings, you're at somebody else's mercy, and, you know, there's nothing that you can do once they uh, shut the door until you get there. So um, I decided that uh, brandy and champagne or a couple of whiskies was a very good way to get on the plane. Once I was on the plane, I was fine. But I did a private pilot's license, got myself into debt, understood it, became very, very passionate about it, I now fly 200 times a year, literally, um, building up God knows how many frequent flyer miles. I'm 56 some years, uh, years old. I'm like a big kid now. I love every single flight. I mean, the biggest drawback is I'm away from my family when I travel. But I actually get a buzz out of every single takeoff and landing. What I did is became so passionate about it that I you know, dig under the surface. I read the, the articles. I read the professional magazines. I, I'm, I have my own little airplane. Um, now I know so much about it. I know how safe it is. Mm. To be honest with you, the, the, the greatest drawback in flying is actually the journey to and from the airport. 
that's the dangerous bit. Um, but, uh, you know, if people understood uh, how um, regulated and how controlled uh, flying is from, from um, crew training through to aircraft maintenance, all the regulations underneath, I think if people really understood that, number one, they wouldn't be so scared. And one of the statistics is 60% of the traveling public um, are nervous of flying. But um, if they really understood what goes into managing a, um, um, a, a, an infrastructure such as air transport, they wouldn't be so quick to want to pay 25 quid to get on a plane to go to New York. Um, so I confronted my fear by learning to fly um, I know all about it. I mean, what, what specific things? What would you say are the top three things, Robin, that you learned that, that, that made you change your opinion? Well, first of all, the technology, that, that aeroplanes are, are, are very safe. Um, the, the physics and the maths behind it is so precise. It's so well understood um, that, you know, they can build the, the A380 Airbus, for example. OK, there's been some engine problems and mm. teething problems. Uh, this happens. This happens with new cars, incidentally. They get recalled because of glitches that are found afterwards. But as you pointed out just before, uh, nobody's been hurt. And, um, you know, there, there are a lot of incidents we don't even hear about where um, a, a light will come up in the flight deck and it's a safety warning. And before anything happens, um, there is a procedure for virtually everything um, that a lot of the time passengers don't even know what's going on. Now, that might not be very... That might be disconcerting uh, for some people, but, you know, the the intervention is so rapid. I mean, for example, I'm sure when you drove to the studio this morning, mm. you didn't walk around your car and check your tyres and, you know, have look, look at whether the car was uh, balanced, whether the suspension had collapsed or something like that. You just get in your car, switch on, and, and off you go. Mm. Um, in, in flying, the, the checks before anyone even gets into the aeroplane um, are, are phenomenal. The, 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 uh, the ground crew, um, uh, the, the whole aspect of, of what goes into dispatching an aeroplane, um, you know, before the passengers get anywhere near the airport. It's quite remarkable. And I think if but people But does that happen in between each flight? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, because you know we've got a lot of budget uh, airlines nowadays that need to turn things around very, very quickly. And I'm obviously not suggesting for a moment that any budget airlines aren't following safety procedures, but obviously it m- must be in people's minds that, that, that things are being done quicker. Yes. Um, you're absolutely right. And I, I have a policy um, for myself and, 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 and the people that work for me. Uh, we have to travel a lot. We're in the medical business. We have to travel a lot for, 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 for our, our positions. And I've actually banned my staff from using budget airlines. Number one, because they tend not to go to where business travelers need to go. Mm. Um, they, they all work to an absolute minimum safety standard that's set out by um, the regulators like the CAA and the European um, 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 uh, uh, Airspace Safety um, Organization uh, and so on and so on. And then airlines set their own standards as well. So I stick to one of the big, you know, the big five European airlines um, or one of the big long-haul airlines. I won't mention any names. No. And, and, and there the standards and, and burden of safety is much, much higher than the, uh, the minimum safety requirements for... Um, the budget airlines, but I have to say, in favour of the budget airlines, their air crews um, who do maybe six journeys um, a day do become very, very experienced pilots because it's all about um, it, it's all about uh, time on the job. And the more you do something like a takeoff and landing, the more proficient you get at it. You know, you could argue that the the long haul guys that do the transatlantic um, journeys they might do that four times 
um, a month, and they sit there for eight hours. Yeah. Everything's on automatic, and at the end they sort of say, let's have a go, and they take over, switch off the automatic automatics, <clears throat> and they do it by hand. So the budget airlines, they do get a lot of experience. Um, there's a minimum requirement for, for being a pilot, you know, six-monthly medicals and, um, uh, and so on and so forth. So it's very, very highly mm. regulated, um, more so than any other method of transport that I can think of. And, you know, the, the technology today is, is, is so reliable. I mean, virtually, when you look at the new types of airplanes, you know, they're being flown on, on iPad-type technology, hmm. uh, which in ge- generally is intrinsically quite reliable. But um, overall, so, Robin, though, finally, just to ask you, I've, I've, no, I've seen a lot of these documentaries, maybe too many of them for my own good, frankly, and, uh, but a lot of the stories as well. I'm thinking uh, Chesley Sullenberger, when, of course, he landed the aeroplane in the Hudson River, uh, 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 I think last year that was, um, successfully, uh, he successfully did that, and that's because he was an old-school pilot, and the reason that he successfully landed that plane, and the reason that a lot of experienced pilots get out of uh, sticky situations is because they've been flying planes for so long that they remember uh, being pilots when we didn't have the extra technology, and many of them have experience in gliding and have experience in, in, in not being reliant on technology, because obviously when that technology fails, they have to go back to the, the, the roots of flying. Would you agree that that's maybe that technology could sometimes not make things safer, because when it fails, pilots don't know what to do when they've not got it to rely on? Absolutely, and that's why professional pilots, commercial pilots and airline transport pilots have to do six-monthly um, simulator checks, and nearly all of those checks um, uh, are um, involved dealing with emergent, an emergency or multiple emergencies where they throw a number of uh, impossible scenarios at them at the same time. <clears throat> the chances of, uh, of a chain of events um, happening is so remote but they put pilots under pressure to deal with that, and there are procedures. I mean, you know, the worst thing that can happen is a Lockerbie-style incident, and then basically your number's up. There's not much you can do about that, but fortunately it's so rare Hmm. that that sort of thing happens. But things like turbulence, you know, you can see it. The other day I was coming back from um, JFK, and I was flying on one of those little aeroplanes into the London City Airport, and, you know, I'm not one of these people that can sleep. Fortunately, I can travel business or first class, but I can't sleep on aeroplanes. It's hostile environment. But, you know, we went through a patch of turbulence, and I'm looking out of the window. The wings are sort of flapping around. The engine pods are wobbling from side to side. But I know intrinsically that the aeroplane has been designed to cope with much, much more than it's likely to in, in the most severe um, weather conditions, and, and all you need to do is go onto YouTube and type in Boeing 777 wing destruction test, and you will see what they put those those wings through. So anybody who's worried about the wings flapping around um, should get some reassurance from that, and essentially if they didn't flap around, they'd break off. So, you know, what, what goes into the design of an aeroplane is remarkable. When an aeroplane is two years late coming to market, um, people should understand that, that it hasn't got to the stage where people are comfortable at releasing it. Um, so, um, yes, I think uh, uh, the automatics are one thing, but pilots are trained to take over manually um, in, in the be. event um, of a major failure. Robin, it's been fascinating talking to you. That's Robin in Heathrow. Thank you very much indeed. Robin, managing to cure his fear of flying by finding out as much as he possibly can about it. And actually, getting his own plane. God love him, <laughs> which I'd love to do. 08456060973. Perhaps you've had to do something similar uh, yourself uh, by uh, curing a fear of flying, maybe going on one of those fear of flying courses.
Tell me how you did it. And also, let's talk children's toys as well. Uh, you can text me on 84850. Uh, send me an email, Chris at uk, uh, or tweet us at LBC973. We'll do the newspapers short. Standing in for Steve Allen, Christo. So we just uh, heard a fascinating call there from a guy called Robin in Heathrow, and we're talking about aeroplane safety, whether you're someone that worries about it, whether you're someone who has a fear of flying, 08456060973. This is as a result of the incidences that we've heard about in our news headlines this morning, the two planes, uh, both Delta airliners, having to make emergency landings, one returning to JFK from where it departed on its way to Moscow after an engine problem, another Los Angeles plane uh, having to go to Atlanta for an emergency landing. And it does seem that we've got a lot of these stories lately. Uh, The Airbus with its engine uh, that went wrong, another 747, which was a Qantas one that had the engine that went wrong. And I'm asking whether you believe that that's making uh, you a little bit more nervous about flying, Uh, whether these incidences, when you hear that people have uh, obviously... uh, come off these uh, incidences very safely and that no one's been hurt, whether that gives you more confidence. In a way, it means that, in a way for me, the fact that they're managing to turn these planes around, land them safely, everything's all A-OK, although going through an incident like that must be terribly frightening, it's quite reassuring to know that obviously the pilots in those situations know what they're doing. So uh, you can have your say on 0845 6060973. And also talking about children's toys, the ones that you would pass on to your kids if you had the chance. Because apparently Lego is the heritage toy you're most likely to pass on to your kids. Lego. I hereby bequeath to you my Lego. Hardly a priceless heirloom, is it? Lego. A box of chewed up plastic old Lego. But apparently that's the toy that you will pass on. Also, there are other ones on the list. Um, Barbie and Ken dolls. They're a bit sexist now, aren't they? I don't know. Do do you remember when they changed Ken? Because Ken used to have dark hair, and I think Ken's a bit blonde now. They gave him a few highlights. They, They did change. Metrosexual Ken. We've got a metrosexual Ken. Um... Matchbox cars, electrics, train sets, rag dolls, marbles. Kids' toys nowadays aren't the same. It's all about Peppa Pig. I know that for a fact. I'm, going, I'm, I'm actually now, this is the state of my life. I told you earlier when I was talking about my neighbour, I have no life. I'm going to see Peppa Pig live at the Criterion Theatre where the mousetrap is. Do you know that? I'm doing that at the beginning of December. It's Peppa Pig's party. I've watched so much Peppa Pig now because of my godchildren. I even know when they, they change the actress who plays Peppa. Do you know that? They changed her, and I know that now. So when I see an episode, I'm like, oh, this is an older Pepper, because it's got that different actress playing Pepper. Yeah. <laughs> I do have a life, though, seriously. I really do. Um, okay, uh, some emails, then we'll do the papers. Ross, on a flight from Australia to Heathrow, our plane got struck by lightning. And a big spark came off the wing. It was scary, but the captain said it's normal. I was ten years old and screaming. Uh, thank you, Ross, very much for that. Oh, my best toy was an old Thomas the Tank train set. Thank you, Ross, for that. G- good choice, that, isn't it? There, there was quite a good um, Thomas the Tank Engine children's TV programme, wasn't there, as well? And it was voiced by Ringo Starr. It's amazing. You know, Paul McCartney went on to do Wings 
had, of course, had a very successful solo career. Um, also, we had John Lennon. Of course, who can uh, who can forget Imagine? And um, that, that John Lennon album was just phenomenal, wasn't it? And then Ringo Starr, he went on to voice Thomas the Tank Engine, which, again, is, you know, it's work. Work is work. Um, some texts now. I watch Air Crash, Investigation and Seconds from Disaster. I was terrified of flying, but those TV shows make me realise how much has to go wrong before a plane risks a crash. The chances are so remote that my fear seemed daft. And that's from Ellie. It does seem, doesn't it, that the more you find out, it'll either go one of two ways. Because sometimes I'll watch an Air Crash Investigation and it'll be something quite simple, like a screw will have fallen out of the tail. And you'll think, oh my God. Just that little thing. Um, but then again, as you rightfully point out, air crash investigation, make it very, very clear that it has to be a string of about 30 events, you know, someone not paying attention, someone not doing maintenance properly, another maintenance person not noticing something, then something else happening. And then a problem with air traffic control. There have to be so many things that happen, so many ingredients that it's actually very, 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 very rare. So you're very right, Ellie, to point that out, but it doesn't always make me feel better. Uh, Philip, uh, if he's listening to the show, I hope Steve Allen isn't worried about flying today, says Phil. No, I don't think he'd be, he's got anything to worry about. Uh, Phil, to be quite honest, he's indestructible. There'd be a nuclear war and Steve Allen would be sitting at this desk. You know that? He'll still be broadcasting. Him and the cockroaches would be the only thing that would survive. <laughs> I could be nasty and say he'd have trouble telling the difference, but that would be cruel. And I would never say such a thing of a colleague. Uh, my toys would be the Tiny Tears doll because of the smell of the plastic. Um, it always brings back my uh, Tommy childhood. Also, Play-Doh for the exact same thing. They just don't smell the same now, says Caroline. Caroline, although that text does sound monumentally weird, and you do sound slightly like a freak, uh, <laughs> with respect, I totally understand where you're coming from. Like those smelly kind of plastics when you're younger. And also rubbers as well. They used to smell, didn't they? Those like, scented rubbers. God, you could sit there in a lesson and just have them under your nose. Honestly. That's how sad I was, you know. All my friends off experimenting with Tipex thinner. There I am, with a smaller razor. Uh, Brian is in Liverpool. Morning, Brian. Hello. Morning. How are you this morning? Yeah, you all right? I just... Just... Yeah, sound. Uh, just explain... Well, sounds your... Is it producer or... Yes, yes. And uh, I've got a Sabuzio set there from 1988 that I'd like to pass on to my kids, but I've got three daughters and they're not interested. Oh, no. <laughs> but those daughters, Brian, will eventually, uh, hopefully, find the loves of their lives and get married. And so maybe either you could pass it on to their partner and then you, that could be the son you've never had, or onto yeah. one of their kids. No, I wish it would. Uh, well, such would now they haven't had any kids. Well, not yet, but, you know, hopefully one day not they yet. will. It would be nice. But it's still in the box. I can... It's only been played with once. Oh, really? Do you know, it's probably worth a bit of money, Brian. No, well, I'm not expecting any money from them. I just give it to my kids. No, no, well, not, from, not from them, but I'm thinking if you've got daughters and it's not going to be appreciated, I'm thinking eBay. A fully boxed Sabutio set from 1988. I reckon there'll be someone out there desperate to get their hands on that and willing to pay a little bit of money for it. It's only been played with it once. Yeah. Because when I got it, mm. 
when I was younger. I'm 45 now. Yeah. When I got it in 1988 for Christmas presents, I wasn't talking to my mum and dad, so I didn't. I said, I'm not having it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So I played with it once yeah. and put it back in the box and put it under my bed. And I've still got it now. So Tabuccio is the one where you put it all out and then you flick yeah. the player to flick the ball. Is that right? Yeah. I was looking at it the other day and I went, did I still play with that? <laughs> Were you not tempted to get a mate round and have a game the other day? No, no, no. No? I tried it once. And I went, no. So it's not for you? I went, no, but... All computer games now, isn't it? Oh, totally. No one wants to play games like that anymore, do they? That's why I reckon the collector on eBay would give you top dollar for that. Do you know that? Uh, when you're going on about airplanes. Yeah. I had a pair of plane, uh, flying. Right. And uh, my wife, she's dead now. But she booted a holiday for us in uh, 2001. And it was two days before you know, the World Trade Centre. Oh, right, yeah. So, so what, September the 9th said, it would have been? Yeah, and I went, no, I'm not flying, I'm not flying, I'm not flying. Because I had the fear of flying. Yeah. Because I won't even get a bus. I'd rather walk somewhere. And I why said, do you no, think that is? Is it, is it some sort of um, fear of not being in control? What is it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fear of not being in control, I think. Because when I'm walking, it's, it's up to me... If I walk in front in front of a car, that's my fault. Yeah. But I'm sitting in a big 30-foot full of metal. Mm. Or could be 50-foot, I don't know. I've got no control. So, But then, then you could apply that to, to anything. Do you not get on trains then and things like that? No. So, so how do you get anywhere? Do you just drive yourself? Do you drive? No, I don't drive, no. So, how I do walk. You, so do you just have to walk everywhere? Yeah. And do you never go and I, visit I anyone in any other cities? I, I get in the car. Mm. If someone's driving me, but I'm, I like to get panicked. But what it was, mm. I had a fear of it. I said, no, I'm going to get drunk, going to get drunk. No, before they got on the plane. Yeah. So uh, he said, all right. Got me in the airport, must have been about, as the other fellow said, about seven o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And they just filled me up with their drinks. And then when we got to where we were going that night, then we had a, a couple of days later, and then coming back. Uh, but you know what? The plane coming back, you couldn't have beat it. Well, do you know what? That was probably the safest time to fly because by then it, w- it was so there were so many security checks. By then, but yeah. you know, what? I think that's the first thought in most people's minds is when they hear about some sort of aviation problem. Everyone's got September the eleventh so much in their mind that they immediately presume that rather than it being a perfectly reasoned, um, you know, thing that might have gone wrong, everyone presumes that it, 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 it that a horrific incident like that is going to happen again. Which fingers crossed, it never will. So, uh, coming back, probably one of the best experiences I've ever had. So, why don't you fly but now, then, if it was OK when you came back? Because, I, I don't know, it, it was just like, oh, I don't know. Have you ever been in a limousine or something like that? It was just, coming back, the plane, yeah. it was, I can't explain it. It's just like, 
It was so relaxed coming yeah. back. And it was a wonderful experience. Well, maybe you should consider it again, Brian. Listen, thank you very much indeed for your call. That's Brian in Liverpool. Had a fear of flying. Doesn't seem to have got over his fear, even though he has had a good experience of flying. Connie from Stockwell. Uh, I'm not afraid of, afraid of flying, and I never will be. In 1991, I flew for the first time with an airline that crashed three weeks before I was due to fly from Vienna to London. Uh, thank you very much indeed, Connie from Stockwell, and thank you for all your kind comments as well uh, on the text. I'm not going to be self-indulgent enough to read them out, but uh, 84850, uh, if you'd like to send me a text and join the conversation and tell me whether you've had a fear of flying, whether these kinds of stories make you have a bit more of a fear of flying. Uh, whether our heightened terror times mean that immediately we always assume the worst. But in actual fact, stories like we've heard this morning of planes having emergency landings, the story of the Airbus, the story of Chesley Sullenberger when he landed this amazing flight on the Hudson, remember all those all that time ago? Those stories should reassure us. Those stories should make us feel better that the cabin crew and the captain and everyone are in control, that no one gets hurt. But still, we want to jump on them and still we want to to just assume the worst. Perhaps researching it made you feel better about it. Perhaps doing what Robin did. Robin learned to fly in order to make himself reassured about flying, which is, you know, quite an extravagant way of doing it, something I'd love to do. But I don't know. I don't know if I want to be in control of a plane. But, you know, I probably would have said that about a car at one point in my life. Now, you know, I didn't want to even want to use the knobs and faders here. I don't know if I want to be in charge of an airliner. I'll do a simulator, like Anthony Davis said. I'll do a flight simulator, and then I'll I'll I'll, I'll gauge it from there. Oh eight four five six zero six zero nine seven three. The time now five forty five. London's news headlines: Rescue teams are getting ready to send a high tech robot down a coal mine in New Zealand to try and find the twenty nine men trapped by Friday's explosion. They're drilling another hole to test for levels of dangerous gas, but the prime minister's insisting there's still hope. Ireland has agreed to a 70 billion euro bailout package to rescue the country's ailing economy. At an emergency cabinet meeting, ministers accepted a deal from the International Monetary Fund and the Eurozone. Britain and Sweden have also agreed to fund the help. And a woman seriously ill after a fire on the ninth floor of a flat in Lewisham. After two, just after half two this morning, crews were called to Russet Way. Four people have been treated for breathing in smoke. London's travel, here's Rachel Hardman. Thanks, Christo. See, 97.3. And for the first time, the Pope has admitted that the use of condoms is justified in certain limited cases. So Nick Ferrari from Seven, as you've just heard, will be asking if it's too little too late in the fight against HIV and AIDS. And after reports of an apparent split in the Cabinet over how much we should fund sport in state schools, Nick will be speaking to a former Olympic champion to ask why sport is so important in a child's education. So join Nick Ferrari from 7am for all of the day's top stories here on LBC 97.3. It's 13 minutes to six. My name's Christo. You're listening to Early Breakfast. I'm in for Steve Allen. We're talking about whether you have a fear of flying and whether that's been perpetuated by the stories that you've been hearing over the last few weeks of engine trouble. Another two this morning, planes forced to make emergency landings in the States. The same airline, Delta this time, no one hurt, thankfully. So we're talking about that. And also what toys you'd be most likely to pass on to your children from your childhood, as Lego is the most popular in a poll. Uh, Stuart in East Sussex saying, I have no fear of flying, 
but I'm scared to death of crashing. Well done, Stuart. <laughs> you summed it up, actually. <laughs> what, that is what I should be saying. Do you have a fear of crashing? Uh, Roger in Slough, morning to you. Good morning, Christo. Um, yes, um, reference air crashes and things like that. Yeah. Um, I've read a book and I've got it in front of me now and I'll always remember this one bit and this is going from back to 2001. Mm. It's the transcripts of all the black box data and it's got the reason you you will find no UK cockpit voice recorder transcript in the collection is because there has recently been no fatal accidents to record or transcribe. Even if the accident investigation branch, part of the Department of Transport, published CVR transports or otherwise made them available to the general public. So, more or less, if you if you take uh, British air transport, what safer can you get? Very, very true. I mean, so what is this book called? It's called uh, Air Disasters, Dramatic Black Box Flight Recordings. So, is that... Because that kind of book would fascinate me, but I imagine that there are people listening who would be absolutely horrified that you can read this information. And so what what, what have you gained from that book? Has it made you uh, less scared of flying or more? I, I'm not scared of flying. I'll fly any time they want me to. <laughs> no, it, it's got... Uh, within the UK, there mm. was one fatality among airline and air taxi passengers since 2001 and five amongst the airline crews, UK, uh, flying the British Isles, reported no passenger or crew fatalities since 2000 to 2006. So, and it's a black box, and it's a book just full of all the black box transcriptions? Yep. Wow. Yes, it's uh, it's published by Collins, mm. and uh, it is a... Uh, it's, uh, by Malcolm McPherson, and uh, it goes all the so way. So, would, would you admire? Would you would you advise anyone that has a fear of flying that it would be a good thing to read oh, or oh, not? I would, uh, if I could download it, I would uh, recommend them to download the uh, introduction. Right, but it goes all the way through Colorado Springs, Memphis, Pittsburgh, uh, and if you keep on going. Uh, the majority of them are USA, but... Um, well, those are the two incidences this morning have been as well. Yeah, well, it's... Uh, but, uh, but then, of course, you know, there are there is more air traffic in the USA, so perhaps we're being a bit unfair that, that, uh, mm, that obviously, they've got I, a higher proportion I of airplanes flying. Um, I think they worked... Well, the statistic that they give here is for one death is um, equivalent to... Um, uh, one billion to one um, per kilometre. Then why do we have this fear? Why are we uh, so scared, do you mm. think? Well, I, th- I think it's like I find it interesting when you say reference takeoff. Um, I don't like takeoff purely on the basis that when that door closes and the uh, air conditioning hasn't cleared the kerosene smell, I think to myself, Go on, get rid of that. <laughs> mm. See, no, I tell you why I have that that thing is because it's. I don't know if it's logical or not, but I and you inherit it from your parents. I, I, to, I so inherited this from my mother. But w- what it is is that when the uh, aeroplane is taking off, 
the engines are under their biggest strain and yep. you're trying to get off the ground yep. um, and and so that's when i fear that there would be the biggest problem it's like you know when you're when an engine's accelerating in a car you feel like it's 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 you know it's under its biggest strain whether it's justified or not whereas when you're landing you're on your way down anyway. If you lose your <laughs> engines anyway, you know, you're, you're gliding down anyway. You're a glider. But once you're on your way up, if you lose anything, then you, 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 you well, you should be scared, well, I it, feel. It, it all depends uh, with me when landing, uh, whether they misjudge it by about a foot, because you either come down and you've got the rumble, rumble, rumble and the uh, uh, retro jets. But uh, if they're about a foot out, you get that bump. And you think, you missed that by about a thought. <laughs> God, because you, you do know your stuff, Roger. Thank you very much indeed for that. So Roger suggests reading the transcripts of black box recorders. There are going to be people in this building in the newsroom who are going to be noting down the name of that book. I tell you that for nothing. Um, we're slightly fascinated by this here uh, in LBC, in the media. And Pauling's in Gravesend. And, uh, Paul, do you think that maybe we report on these kinds of things a bit much? We certainly do. Morning, Christopher. Morning. Um, Airline and aircraft is a bit of a hobby of mine as well, and I worked at Gatwick for two years mm. with another company, but I worked at the airport. And going, just going back there to what, you're, what you're, the conversation you was having with your last caller, a captain doesn't always land. It's the first officer that has to land part of his training. Every six landing, they have to land hard to test the landing gear struts. So it's not always, as you put it in brackets, poor driving. It's far from that at all. They have to land hard to test the landing gear. That is a known fact. It's part of the everyday situation with, um, with cabin crew and, see, sorry, so pilots a, and stuff. A, again, you're demonstrating, though, that us all having much more knowledge about that, because I wouldn't have known that, and I'd have, yeah. uh, we'd have hit the ground if I was on a plane like that, and I'd have immediately thought, oh, my God, but there, was, there wasn't control from the pilots, what's happening, when you're saying, no, no that's exactly what should happen. When, 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 I mean, most, well, I, can, I can show you that every major UK yeah. and every major US um, airport, Gatwick, Heathrow, New York, whatever it is, all the big ones, all have ILS landing. So it's all instrument controlled. Nothing, the pilot will only land the plane if he has to, and he's, and he's part of his training, he has to. Nine times out of ten, whether it's a Boeing 747 or an A380 or a 31 or whatever the case may be, the plane on fly-by-wire are dragged in on a glide slope and they land themselves. Nine times out of ten, they do it, and on the tenth time, about 50 feet off the ground, the captain or the first officer, whoever's going to fly, will take over the controls. That's why the engines go into idle, and he'll land it manually. There's nothing wrong. Yes, the hardest part of an aircraft taking off and landing is the most time when there could be problems. Admittedly, in, in crews at 32,000 feet or whatever, the plane loves it. It just sits there with its feet up. But... Look, I think we're reporting too much of it. This, when I was at Gatwick, I've got, I got loads of people. A friend of mine has worked eight months for a low-cost airline. He's had more bird strikes and go-arounds and landing gear problems. He can even wish for the rest of his life. It happens all the time. It happens every day. It happened nearly every day while I was at Gatwick. The problem is, since the A380 with Qantas and the engine um, malfunction, someone's watching the media. Someone, someone's watching what's going on. Somebody is looking into the CAA or the FIB's um, database or whatever, and finding stuff. We know about it because someone's watching what's going on. But emergency <laughs> landings are news. I mean, these are two separate airlines that, that have had to make emergency landings overnight uh, uh, this morning. So, uh, I mean, I think that people have an interest in it and they would want to hear that this has happened. I, 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 totally, I totally agree. But we will Are you saying that there are smaller incidences that are made, that, that people make more of, though, sometimes? Absolutely. I mean... 
I was I was on a I was on a plane last year. We had an aborted takeoff at um, Malaga Airport. The there was a, there was a problem with the we were literally were thrusting down the runway, and all of a sudden, I won't go into too much technical details in the future. We shut the brakes on, you know, because there was a problem with the engine back onto stand. That wasn't in the paper because nobody's not watching what's going on. This happens daily. I mean, every every uh, once a week, Gatwick would get an emergency landing, an emergency landing just doesn't mean there is a serious problem. It just means that the captain's taken off or... Well, there, there are degrees of emergency, airport. aren't there? There are degrees of emergency, I presume. Yeah, I mean, all, all an emergency all an emergency landing is a, a request. It's not a mayday. It just, it just turn around and say to air traffic control, look, I've got a problem with an engine. I'm not happy about it. I've taken off from, from Gatwick. Can I turn around and land again? That's classified as an emergency landing. It could be nothing. Hmm. It could be something really, really simple. Um, there's a warning light that's come on, but every single modern Airbus nowadays have got six backup computers. So if something goes wrong, there's backup. If something goes wrong with that one, there's, there's another backup. backup. Um, it, it sounds um, like you're, you're demonstrating the point, Paul, thank you for your call, that knowledge is key in these situations. That looking into this more and more will actually get you uh, feeling reassured. Hopefully, I hope that we have this hour reassured you on this. Um, if you'd like to have your say, 0845 60609973. You can drop me a text on 84850. Email me Christo at lbc.co.uk. In the next hour, I've been threatening to do it all this hour. We're going to go through the newspapers, some of the stories that have been catching our eye, including Anne Whittacombe resembling Big Bird in Sesame Street. <laughs> I don't know if that's an insult to Anne Whittacombe or Big Bird, but we'll talk about that. Uh, and of course, we'll talk about the uh, something else we've been hearing about in our bulletins the latest round of tube strikes, which could be coming your way. So, all of that on LBC 97.3. Standing in for Steve Allen, Christo. Yes, good morning. My name's Christo. This is LBC 97.3. I'm here with you until. Seven o'clock. It's eight minutes past six. Good morning. Um, this uh, hour, we're going to be doing some of the newspapers. We're also going to be talking to you on 08456060973 about um, another story this morning, which you may have uh, heard in our bulletins. Hundreds of tube workers are to be balloted for strikes in a row over the treatment of two union members. The Rail and Maritime Transport Union has claimed a health and safety representative was sacked because of his role as a union official. And what I'd like to, what I'd like to know from you on 0845 60 is whether we should do something about banning tube strikes full stop. 08456060973. You can text me on 84850. Email me christo at lbc.co.uk. We have once again a situation where we're heading towards Christmas and you are going to be facing disruption and is it fair that you the londoner has to pay the price for a union which seems hell-bent on striking constantly 08456060973 this time they're talking about striking over victimization action the rail and maritime transport union claiming a health and safety representative was sacked because 
of his role as a union official. It added a tube driver was facing trumped-up charges as a result of recent strikes over job losses. Now, London Underground have said that the strike is going to be pointless and unnecessary and the ballot should be cancelled. In a statement, TfL said it's completely irresponsible for the RMT to call a ballot for strike action when the disciplinary and appeal process for both drivers has not been exhausted and, in the case of the Northern Line driver, has not even started. For the RMT leadership to threaten to disrupt Londoners in this way shows a complete disregard for tube passengers. Is it just me, or does it seem to you that the tube drivers and tube union and the RMT seem to want to strike when people just look at them in the wrong way? I'm absolutely sick of this. We've gone through a situation where we've had the biggest economic meltdown in history, and throughout that period, people who worked on the tube not only didn't have to face one compulsory redundancy, but they also maintained pay rises. Now, if you ask me, I think this is as a result of the fact that the uh, tube unions haven't got anywhere when it comes to the strikes that they've done over the result of these, over the proposed axing of these ticket office working jobs. Now, of course, these jobs are not compulsory redundancy either, and some of those people will be redeployed on the gates. So another completely pointless strike. And I'm sick of us being in a situation where you and me have to uh, have to put up with this. Oh eight four five six oh six oh nine seven three. Should we just take drastic action? I think that they're asking for it. I do. We ended up in a situation in the eighties where strikes were banned. Thatcher, dear God, she made striking illegal in some cases. It's a monopoly, and it's not fair that you and me and the rest of London have to suffer this. I mean. They're striking over disciplinary action that hasn't even been resolved yet. That's what they're talking about striking anyway. They're going to ballot over it. It's unbelievable that they're talking about threatening all of us as a result of this once again. 0845 6060973. You can text me on 84850. You can email me Christo at lbc.co.uk. Tell me whether you believe that yet another pre-Christmas strike threat is just one step too far, in your opinion. We just have strikes constantly. If you go on our website, lbc.co.uk, we've got a great section which gives you a history of uh, the tube strike situation. Well, they were balloted in August about uh, potential job, job losses. We then had strikes on October the 3rd, November the 2nd, potentially November the 28th. Um... Uh, it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And now yet another vote, another ballot for strikes in a row over allegations, allegations that haven't even been resolved yet or proven of victimisation against two union members. Like I say, the RMT saying several hundred workers will vote in the next few weeks on whether to take industrial action in support of the two men. The union claimed that Eamon Lynch, a health and safety representative on the Baker-Loo line, was sacked because of his role as a union official, whilst Arwin Thomas, who was a driver on the Northern line, was facing trumped-up charges as a result of recent strikes over job losses. Do you not believe that the bosses of London Underground have enough to worry about than trumping up charges and trying to take on disciplinary action that isn't at least justified in its investigation. It's not even been resolved yet. 
Members of the RMT and the Transport Salary Staffs Association, or the TSSA, um, have staged a series of strikes in recent weeks, planning another 24-hour walkout from next Sunday evening. RMT General Secretary Bob Crow said instead of harassing our members and activists on trumped-up charges, London Underground Management should be directing their energies into reaching a settlement on the ongoing disputes over tube safety and safe staffing levels. However, it's a safety issue. The Bakerloo line driver was dismissed over a serious breach of tube safety rules. So actually, uh, London Underground are saying that its tube safety was the very reason why they felt they had to dismiss this worker. Um, Can't really play your tube safety card, can you, as a member of the union? Um, I think it's completely hypocritical. The RMT need to call this off. I'm hoping that its members actually see sense and think that another strike in London for Londoners isn't going to endear you uh, to people in this city. Are you just used to it now? Will you just shrug your shoulders if there's another strike over union members? Do you not even know what these strikes are about now? Will you just shrug your shoulders and get on with it the way you've had to in the past? 08456060973. You can text me on 84850. And email me, Christo, at lbc.co.uk. Um, we'll take some of your calls and texts on this, and we'll do some of the papers, and that's coming up. Time now, though, 6.15. First London's headlines, here's Peter Ferris. .uk forward slash podcast, and listen again. Good morning, it's 18 minutes past six. My name's Christo, I'm in for Steve Allen this morning, and tomorrow morning, with early breakfast, he's on assignment for LBC. Uh, you probably know, it's a Christmas and festive-related assignment, uh, so I'm going to be looking after things this morning and tomorrow morning. So we're talking about fear of flying, whether you've got one and how you've overcome your fear of flying, as a result of uh, uh, the story that you've been hearing this morning in our bulletins of the two airliners refor- uh, that have been forced to make emergency landings uh, in America. Because of engine problems, no one hurt, everything fine. But whether these continuing stories of planes having to make these landings is making you more scared to fly and how you've overcome that fear on 08456060973. We'll do the newspapers in just a second, but I'm also uh, having letting you have your say here on LBC regarding the fact that hundreds of London underground workers being balloted for strikes in a row over allegations of victimisation against the two union members threatening fresh disruption on the tube. So this isn't the same strike that's going to happen next week as a result of the planned ticket office closures that um, won't result in any compulsory redundancies, by the way. It will be voluntary redundancy and other workers redeployed. No, this is separate strikes that they're talking about uh, balancing their members on now uh, because of the fact that two workers, one a health and safety representative and one a driver on the northern line, were facing trumped-up charges and a dismissal. Um, as a, And the union are saying, well, actually, that's just revenge because of the strikes that we're doing already. London Underground saying completely irresponsible because these... Uh, these employment issues are actually ongoing with these two workers and therefore how can you strike over something that's not even been resolved yet? Which I'm in full agreement with and I'm saying that we should do something about banning these tube strikes, just stopping them, making them illegal. They have a monopoly, it's not fair. But perhaps you've got a different view. Perhaps you're so used to having to uh, battle your way into work without a, a tube service now and the strikes have happened so often that actually now they are just pointless. They don't even have any effect anymore. 08456060973. You can text me on 84850 and email me christo 
at lbc.co.uk. Um, I'll get some text on this in just a moment, and of course you can have your say on that on the phone lines, but let's do some of the newspapers as well, because you can have your say on any of those things that I'm talking about this morning. We'll start with the Express with a photo of Widdy on the front, and they're saying six inches of snow will hit Britain. Have we got enough salt to cope? Now, if I was a council member, I'd be getting salt now, really. Just start getting salt, even if you have to get yourself a bit of low salt. Get yourself some Saxa, anything, so that we don't have the same thing. Do you know what I mean? It's like I love the fact that when there's the slightest bit of weather that is, is uh, you know, a little bit abnormal in this country, that we grind to a halt. The trains can't run. The tube can't run. Like, we, we, we can't drive anywhere because there's no salt on the roads. It's almost like we're not used to having a climate in this country that's a bit changeable. It's everyone shrieks. All the, the, <laughs> all the train companies and all the councils go, oh, to here. What, so what? Sometimes we have a bit of snow in the UK. Why didn't anyone tell us? And they've got Anne Whittacombe on the front, looking a bit like Big Bird. Though she did an amazing samba on Saturday night, it has to be said. Um, and a lot of the newspapers as well reporting on some of the news you heard about over the course of the weekend. Panic at the palace, as all the polls say William should be king, and not Charles. Prince William and bride-to-be Kate Middleton have unwittingly created a crisis for the royal family over the line of succession. Senior advisers were in a panic yesterday after a rash of opinion polls indicated the public wants young, the young couple, uh, William and Kate, to be king and queen instead of Prince Charles and Camilla. The engagement announcement, along with a weekend US TV interview in which Charles admitted for the first time that Camilla could be queen, have created mayhem for the monarchy. The point is that I think a lot of people don't get that, that we have an unwritten constitution in this country, but by the mere fact that Camilla is married to Charles when he, became, when he becomes king, she will be queen. They could call her a different title if they wanted to, but she will be queen. She will be. That's just what will happen, because she's married to the king. So I don't think this is a massive surprise, but many of you not that happy about that, it seems. Interesting story as well on page seven, if you've ever suffered from weight loss issues. Women resort to a host of bizarre twi- tricks to kid themselves that they weigh less than they actually do. Many admit to standing on one leg when they hop on the scales. More than half confess they take all their clothes off before getting weighed. Thousands even said that they will only get on the scales before a meal for fear their undigested dinner would add a couple of extra pounds. And that's true. Mar- uh, you should weigh yourself first thing in the morning, completely starkers, after not having had a big meal before you go to bed, and preferably after a pee as well. All right, the other is my advice, please. Um... Some texts here. Bob Crow loves playing politics with other people's lives. Give it up, comrade. It's 2010, not 1950s Russia, from Kevin the Milkman. Christo, stop lumping tube drivers with everyone else during your anti-underground rant. The vast majority of drivers are members of ASLEF and are not striking. I realise some are RMT members, but the vast majority are not, and those who aren't are just as cheesed off as every other passenger. And that says Kevin. Thank you very much indeed, Kevin, for that. Um... All I can say, Christo, is typical. It's a case of why are you striking? No real reason. It's because we can, says Jackson Morden. Um, <laughs> I think the tube strikes are great. No problems here with them. From Tony the cabbie. Uh, um, Andrew Pierce mentioned that he was a pal of Anne Whittacombe. He is, says Sammy. Rianne Whittacombe. 
I hope she wins Strictly, not because she can dance, because I feel the BBC put her on, as they do with every show, with the attitude of the ludicrous guest. And the judges then get a chance to make her clever, make their clever so they think an insulting remarks. Is that entertainment? Perhaps this time the BBC will learn not to use ludicrous guests in future shows, says Esther. Yeah, true, Esther. Well, you pay for them. It's your licence fee. Um... What else have we got here? Let's do some emails. Philip. Um, oh, no, I've got one from Simon, actually. Two things for you. First, the Pope said Sunday condoms would be good for male prostitutes uh, to wear to stop the spread of HIV. And everyone said, wow, big change for the church, etc. But didn't anyone notice the church doesn't allow anyone to be gay? <laughs> True. Never mind to be prostitutes. So I'm sure these people um, were not following the rules and what the Pope says. So why would they start to use condoms now just because he says it's OK? Well, actually, that's something Nick Ferrari will be looking into from 7 o'clock, so make sure you stay with LBC to have your say on that with him. Secondly, tube strikes. They should be on the same list as the police, where they cannot go on strike along with the firefighters. You never hear of the subways in New York or Paris or Germany or Spain going on strike all the time, but you do here in London. Ban them from striking. If they don't like it, sack the lot of them and give others who are begging for work a chance to earn money and get off the dole. Simon, I think you're speaking absolute sense there. I think the fear is that the next time, perhaps there will be a time in the future where London Underground will end up in a situation where they uh, perhaps bring in a decision that is ill thought out, that would be detrimental to safety. Maybe London Underground in the future will perhaps make a decision that the union would be fully justified in saying, you know what, this is going to put lives at risk and this is a stupid decision. And because they've cried wolf so many times before, Londoners are just going to shrug their shoulders and say, well, actually, we don't believe you or you're just striking again for the sake of it. And thereby genuinely putting lives at risk. Because there might be a situation where it would be a genuine concern. Perhaps the RMT or TSSA or these unions could actually have a perfectly valid point in the future and safety could be at risk. But no one's going to listen to them because they'll just think they're striking for the sake of it. You have to choose your battles. You have to choose your battles. And they're not choosing them wisely in this situation. And I'd love to know whether you agree. 84850. Christo at lbc.co.uk. Another front page here. Cheryl War on Wagner. I'm proud of council estate roots. He tried to burst into her dressing room. Simon's furious at me. I don't care. She defended her on-air clash with Wagner over his council estate jibe, insisting she was right to give him a dressing down, thereby essentially saying, it's not just because I'm lucky and that I can't actually sing. Actually, apparently, he was wrong, says Wagner. Probably the biggest sense that Wagner's ever spoken. So that's your Daily Mirror. We'll do some more of the newspapers and more of your texts and emails coming up with me, Christo, in for Steve Allen with Early Breakfast. Three, standing in for Steve Allen, Christo. Yes, it's uh, just about to hit 26 minutes to seven. Good morning, my name's Christo. This is Early Breakfast. I'm in for Steve Allen, looking after things, taking you through till 7am. We're talking about the story you've been hearing about in our bulletins with hundreds of London underground workers to be balloted for strikes in a row this time over allegations of victimisation against two union members threatening more disruption for you on your way to and from work. Now, this particular gripe 
with the Rail and Maritime Transport Union, saying several hundred workers voting on the next few weeks on whether to take industrial action to support the two men. The union claimed that a health and safety representative on the Bakerloo line was sacked because of his role as a union official, whereas London Underground are saying that he was sacked as a result of a breach in health and safety, whilst another driver on the Northern Line was facing trumped-up charges as a result of recent strikes over job losses. TfL saying it's unreasonable, irresponsible for the RMT to call a ballot for strike action when the disciplinary and appeal process for both drivers has not been exhausted and, in the case of the Northern Line driver, has not even started. Personally, I believe that this strike is as a result of the fact that they're not really getting anywhere in your mind or in the minds of London Underground with their strikes. Another one planned for the end of this month over the 800 ticket worker uh, jobs which are either going as a result of voluntary redundancy or actually their redeployment onto the ticket office, uh, onto the gates. Um, I think that this is completely ridiculous, once again, that the RMT are choosing to try and hold Londoners to ransom, and I think that action needs to be taken. I think that these kinds of strikes need to become illegal, because it's not fair that London, that you, are being held to ransom as a result of this, once again. And I think as well that they are really playing with fire, because perhaps uh, London Underground, if I was London Underground now, and I'm not suggesting they would do this, I'd be rubbing my hands with glee, thinking, you know what, I could bring in, we could bring in any changes in the future, changes that perhaps would be detrimental to London safety. Perhaps they would bring in a change in the future where they wouldn't even know that something would be detrimental to the safety of Londoners. And the union has banged on so many times now and called so many unnecessary strikes that actually they could quite justifiably have concerns in the future about safety, choose to strike, and no one would listen. No one would listen. And you and I would shrug our shoulders and say, oh, dear, we go, Bob Crow, banging on about tube safety, passenger safety once again. And maybe he could have a point in the future and none of us would listen. So maybe it's time that serious action needs to be taken, and I'd like to know if you agree on 0845 6060973. You can text me on 84850 and email me christo at lbc.co.uk. Is it time that we banned these strikes? Are you sick of it? Or, really, perhaps you just shrug your shoulders and say, you know what, that's it. We just It's just a part of living in our city, is that some days... We just can't get around. Some days now, this is just goes with the territory of living in London and that you just can't get around. You know, you just have to think about getting a bike or getting on the bus or, or fighting with other commuters to get to work or uh, getting a taxi or, you know, once a month, you have to have a four-hour journey home. It's just part of living in London now, you know? That's what's happening. The currency of striking has actually been lost. It's been lowered. As a result of this, it's, it's actually hilarious. You know, it's, it's, it's becoming amusing. I've got a big smile on my face because I'm just thinking we have to put up with this for so long now. You know, and it's not as if we've got an amazing service on the tube to start with, is it? I've often said that I think on the Northern Line they should announce when there isn't a signal failure because it might shock commuters more. 08456060973. Text me on 84850. I'm really angry about this. Really angry that you and I are being held to ransom again. And this time over two workers who haven't even completed their appeal process. It's ridiculous. I'm hoping that the members who are being balloted are going to see sense and see that Londoners are just out of patience and out of sympathy. Okay.
Uh, I'm livid about the tube strike possibility. The solution might be to publish all the members of RMT's telephone numbers and addresses um, and have Londoners have a chat to them from Bruce and Seven X. Bruce, that's a bit of an extreme solution, but it obviously shows the frustration that you're feeling. I mean, it would be nice if Londoners could perhaps reason with RMT. Perhaps you feel that you could do a better job uh, than is being done so already. Maybe Londoners should be balloted to find out how they believe that this should be uh, will be resolved. Maybe Londoners should be balloted to find out if they care about the fact that these ticket office workers might go, that they care that some of their union members... When I get on the Northern Line, I, I'm sorry, I don't have... No, I'm nothing in my mind. It doesn't pop into my mind at all that a union member might have ended up having disciplinary action as a result of a gripe uh, with, with London Underground. I couldn't give two hoots. I just want to be able to get to work and back. That's it. I don't, sorry, I don't care if RMT are annoyed with London Underground over some gripe between, uh, you know, with two of their workers who, uh, and some internal wranglings that are going on. I couldn't give a hoot. And neither could you. You just want to get to work. That's all you want to do. It's ridiculous. It's tough enough living in London sometimes, and it doesn't make it easier. Um, there will be voluntary redundancies, but this will still reduce RMT subscriptions. The real reason why they are taking action, says Mike. I agree with the strike, says Carl, and there should be more. Management in this country are the worst in the world. Um, London Underground is inextricably part of the capital's essential services. Strike action impacts on all essential public services. This is irresponsible and immoral for the public to be held to ransom by LTR workers. Make strikes illegal, rewrite employment contracts, or fire the non-compliant workers, says Michael in Islington. Perhaps you work on the underground and you want to ring up and put your side across. Maybe you work on the underground and you're actually sick of being um, thrown in with these militants that, that want to strike. Perhaps that's how you genuinely feel and you want to ring up and have your say. LBC is here for you to do that on 0845 6060973. You can text me on 84850 and email me christo at lbc.co.uk. Another interesting story in the newspapers this morning on page 33 of the Mail. Children living in Kabul... Are safer than those in London or Glasgow. NATO's representative in Afghanistan is insisting. Mark Sedwell, who's quite obviously mad, thinks children are safer in Kabul, war-torn Afghanistan. His comments condemned by charities, who said that one in four children born in the war-torn country died before the age of five. Makes you wonder what these officials actually... Former Britain, former ambassador to the country... Makes you wonder, really, what some of these officials are on. Uh, Hardeev is in Chigwell. Morning, Hardeev. Hi, Chris. How are you doing, mate? You all right? Fine, thank you. Oh. Now, you, you work on the underground, don't you? I do. I'm just... Oh, just what you're saying, oh, half of it is wrong, Christo. It, it really is. It's like, you know, um, like your, that, that guy who's in the text about the, uh, the uh, two brothers being with uh, Adlib and the RMT. Now, um, I'm telling you now, because uh, of that, 90% of the RMT, sorry, 90% of drivers yeah. are with ASLEV, yeah. so they're not even going to get balloted about this strike no, in the first place. No, I appreciate that, and that's why I, I, right. I read this text, because some drivers are with a different union, and, the, and there are some people on RMT who, who would be the people who, was, who would be potentially that's striking right. on this. That, that's right, and like, the, I'm, ten, I'm, I mean, I'm telling you, the massive majority are with the ASLEV, massive majority. 
So, like, maybe, what, 10% are with the RMT? And out of that 10% who get balloted, I'm telling you, less than half are going to actually go out on strike. And another point is that I want to make, and I want to make it clear to the public, the RMT are their own worst enemies when it comes with the underground because they've, they've separated the drivers and station staff. Hmm. And, there's a, and there's a real hard feeling between station staff and drivers. And when station staff say, we're going to go, go out and strike, we don't get the support from drivers. And now it's happening vice versa. So is there uh, a lot of infighting going on? So now tube drivers are isolated from ticket office workers, ticket office workers isolated from tube drivers? Oh, hello, I think we might have lost Hardy. Are you there? Oh, I think he's probably gone into a bit of a mobile black spot, but it does sound like there's a lot of infighting going on. And that neither department, the left hand, doesn't know what the right hand's doing. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And yes, I, I take it on board. Maybe a lot of drivers wouldn't be affected by these strikes, but certainly other tube workers who are members of the RMT will be. 0845 Do you know what? I don't even believe, but perhaps you can correct me, I don't believe that you as Londoners, you, you care whose union runs what part of the tube. I, I, I'm, I'm past caring. I just want to know that I can get to work and back, and I'm sure that that is the same for you. 84850, Christo at lbc.co.uk. Boris must not give in, says Dave, agreed with that one. Um, we'll do some more stories from the newspapers. Daily Mail saying Sharia lessons for pupils, aged six. And a nice picture of Cher from the X Factor. You've just been saved by the judges. What would be an X Factor without tears? Does anyone else think it was totally rubbish this weekend? None of them performed well. Like, none of them. Wagner, apart from Wagner, God. I don't know if I agree with that. The best performance, I would give best dramatic performance to Cheryl Cole for her confrontation with Wagner. That was the best performance of the weekend. If I could have voted for that, I would have. That's the only thing I wanted to vote for in the X-Files, because nothing else. Nothing else. And then everyone's lauding them all. Like, the thing is, I don't know if the judges have just... Uh, I don't know if they're all drunk. The only one that speaks sense, and I never thought I'd say these words, but the only person with any sense on the X-Factor panel is Danny Minogue. And really, if you'd asked me a year ago if I'd be saying those words, I, I, would, have, I would have told you that you were mad. But the rest of them, they're singing these people who are caterwauling and making the noises coming out their mouths that you wouldn't hear from a dying animal. And all the X-Factor judges are saying, oh, you're amazing. You're, you're a wonderful... I like you as a person. You're a lovely thing. Katie, new hairdo, still the same voice. And she manages to survive another week. I don't get it. Um, anyway, lots in the papers about that. Front page of the Daily Mirror. Cheryl War on Wagner. I'm proud of Council House Roots. And uh, they've done a Cheryl versus Wagner inside. All out war is what they are saying, of course, because the producers wouldn't have known at all beforehand uh, that that was going to happen. 6.45. London's news headlines this morning from 7. LBC 97.3. And it's 12 minutes to 7am here on LBC. My name's Christo with Early Breakfast. In for Steve Allen who's on assignment for LBC. As you've just heard, Nick Ferrari is coming up from 7am. For the first time, the Pope has admitted that the use of condoms is justified in certain limited cases. So Nick will be asking if it's too little too late 
in the fight against HIV and AIDS. And after reports of an apparent split in the Cabinet over how much we should fund sport in state schools, Nick will be speaking to a former Olympic champion to ask why sport is so important in a child's education. So join Nick Ferrari from 7am for all of the day's top stories here on LBC 97.3. I'll be taking you up till 7am and uh, we're talking this morning about a couple of things. How you overcame your fear of flying and whether you're more nervous as a flyer as a result of these increasing stories we're hearing of planes making emergency landings. We hear heard overnight a story of the same thing happening again. Or whether hearing of these success stories, essentially, because no one's hurt, thankfully, in uh, many of these cases, whether that's actually uh, made you less nervous. How you overcame your fear on 0845 6060 973. And we're also talking about the uh, fact that hundreds of tube workers being balloted for strikes in a row over the treatment of two union members. The RMT claiming a health and safety representative was sacked because, not because of the serious safety breach, as London Underground have said, but because of his role as a union official. And it added that that a tube driver was also facing trumped-up charges as a result of these recent strikes. London Underground saying that the ballot was pointless and unnecessary in a statement TFL saying it is completely irresponsible for the RMT to call a ballot for strike action when the disciplinary and appeal process for both drivers has not been exhausted and in the case of the Northern Line driver, the driver who the uh, um, the RMT is saying is facing these trumped up charges, that it's actually not even started. So I'm asking whether you believe that now some action needs to be taken in perhaps making these strikes illegal, whether you're now sick of your journey to work being marred, being more difficult. We've got another strike later this month over these ticket office workers who are uh, facing, well, some of them are facing voluntary redundancy and the others are being redeployed. So it's, I, I, it's wrong to say the job, huge amount of job losses because they richly aren't. It's quite clear my stance on this. I think it's getting ridiculous, and I think that London, that the RMT are not choosing their battles carefully. And I want to know whether you agree. Uh, some of you saying, you know, Olga on the text saying, I've got a hatred towards unions. I don't, Olga. I just do if I feel they're causing unnecessary disruption. And I feel in this case it's not fair on you, and it's not fair on me, and that London Underground is essential. However, I'd love to hear from you if you work for London Underground. We heard from a London Underground worker just before uh, we went to the headlines there saying that actually there's the RMT, there are other unions in there as well. The drivers aren't supporting the ticket staff, ticket staff aren't supporting drivers, everyone's got so many unions. Frankly, I, I understand that, but as a punter, as a commuter, that doesn't bother me. I just want to be able to get to work and back. I just want them to sort it out. Perhaps the government should step in and sort this out. Make it illegal. Make it more difficult for strikes to take place because it's not fair that London is being held to ransom. And I'd like to know if you agree. 84850 on the text. Uh, You can send me an email, christo at lbc.co.uk. You can send me a tweet as well because that's up and running. At LBC973. Or, of course, call us in the traditional way, 08456060973. Uh, Martin from Chingford. I was so scared of flying that I confronted it head on and got a private pilot's license and now have a better idea of how qualified and well trained the two people 
at the front are, says Martin in Chingford. Many of you are saying that. Lots of you are saying that once you actually got a bit of knowledge of flying and what it's uh, what it actually involves, that it ended up being much better for you. You knew exactly what was going on up there. And, see, I don't know whether these documentaries help. Like I say, I watch too much air crash investigation. I know everything that goes on. And sometimes it doesn't help. I hear a noise in the plane when I'm on it, and I'm like, oh, good God. Something else could be happening. Uh, 0845 if you'd like to have your say. Uh, you can text me 84850-CRISTO at LBC dot co dot uk thank you for your nice texts by the way that you're sending in i'm not going to read them all but thank you uh jim is in basildon morning jim morning how are you this morning why do you say that ban shite i beg your pardon what i'm going to do is you ban shite what i'm going to do exactly what they like well it's worked when it comes to the police force it hasn't worked the police do want to be uh have the choice to go on strike they're not um, allowed to by legislation. Yes. And that causes a great deal of uh, resentment and long, please. I, I don't know if I agree. I've heard many police officers when this is being debated on LBC that have called us up saying that they, they want to serve the public. They don't want to be able to strike because that's not what their objective is. Their objective is to serve the public. Why can't people who work on the underground have that kind of attitude? Uh, well, what they're going to do when management do something they don't like, just go along with it then. Well, at the, t- at the moment, London's going to have uh, having to go along with the fact that tube unions are holding this city to ransom. It's not well, fair. Again, then, well, you stop? You put back up chimney, no, I think unions are necessary, but only if they act in a responsible way. And at the moment, it seems that they just want to strike when people look at them the wrong way, and but it's not fair. Uh, well, it doesn't just upset my comfortable little lifestyle, it upsets seven million other comfortable lifestyles wanting to mine get to work and back. Mine included, because it makes my job harder. Do you not think that perhaps they should think about choosing their battles, Jim? And that actually, if they strike for a valid reason that the whole of London can understand, London might take notice and say, you know what, we have to put up with this day of disruption because the union are choosing a good reason to strike. Whereas at the moment, it's just strike after strike after strike. London stopped listening. No, and then you see the other agenda. Because of this uh, present climate, management are using this and jumping on the bank while we're doing this because we've got the public on our side. And we can get this in and we can get that in and no. we can change this I'm afraid I disagree, so, because during our yeah. worst economic meltdown that we've ever had, London underground workers have maintained pay rises and no compulsory redundancy. So if the management really wanted to make things difficult, they could have. They could have put a pay freeze on, stopped putting up wages. They didn't do that. So if you make strikes illegal, what are the workers going to have then? Well, if, I, think, I think we're heading that way, Jim. I think they're going to end up with, with nothing. I take your point, perhaps t- making strikes illegal is drastic action, but I think that drastic action needs to be taken because London's being held to ransom for too long, Jim. Yeah, I and mean, then if the workers withdraw without the union, if the workers withdraw their uh, labour, yeah. for whatever reason, don't set the lock. Well, I mean, maybe... It's like they're idiot for the fire service saying, sack all the firemen. Well, you know, maybe if they continue with these strikes, Jim, that's the direction we're going to end up in. Maybe it's, a, I'm not saying it's a good thing necessarily, but maybe where we end up going. Jim, we've got to leave it. Um, and got a quick email. Uh, <laughs> um, 
here and people trying to get over their fear of flying, which uh, I'm not going to have time to uh, read out. Um, 08456060973. Nick Ferrari is coming up uh, from 7am. So do make sure you stay with LBC 97.3 for that. If you'd like to do it all again, by the way, you can go to the website lbc.co.uk where we've also got a great section about the tube strikes. So make sure that you uh, have a look at that. And uh, now it's time on LBC for your business update. 